Hello and welcome to Gutshot, home of the hottest takes for Magic the Gathering. I'm Will and joining me as always is Frederick. Hello, I'm Frederick, your co-host for Gutshot, uh, the only Magic the Gathering podcast that is funny if you roll a nat 20. <laughs> Fred, how's it going today? Pretty all right. Uh, had a canoe trip with my dad on Saturday. Uh, that was oh. pretty nice. Um, Fourth of July sucks. I hate America. I hate fireworks. Uh, it was just a bad time in general. But um, yeah, doing pretty good. Got to play some modern. Went 3-0 this past weekend with my new uh, teamer midrange list. I just oh, okay. uh, <clears throat> want to get some games in against um, Domain Zoo. That's the only thing. Uh, and the guy who, who played it the previous week wasn't there last week, but I'm really excited to play against that. But yeah, I'm, I'm really loving the list. Really glad that I built it. Um, speaking of lists, we're glad we built. Um, how are you doing? Yes, I, I'm doing well. Congratulations uh, on your sweep. Uh, having a good Fourth uh, of July weekend. You know, uh, went and saw some fireworks. Uh, I, I'm not super into them, but they're important to my girlfriend, so they're important to me. But uh, something that I have not been able to get <clears> off my mind are these new magic spoilers for the new set, Dungeons and Dragons: Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that today. So before we get started. Um... <laughs> What are your, oh, sorry, um, like and subscribe, uh, and also uh, comment, uh, but pretend that I said this in an organic way that made sense with the flow of the episode. Everybody, thank you for listening to Gutshot. It really does mean a lot to us uh, every single time you, you tune in. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, please like the video if you like it. Uh, the bell icon's there if you want notifications, and subscribe for more of that juicy Gutshot content uh and more than anything we want to hear what you have to say um what are your thoughts on uh, the cards that we picked uh, as our um you know mo most exciting cards that we're really looking forward to for the new set uh do you agree with us disagree with us let us know and leave a comment on uh, in, on youtube uh below or you can tweet at us at GutshotPod, and I'm definitely interested in reading any comments or uh, uh, tweets that we get on the air. So that being said, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, I, I don't believe the set is completely spoiled, but we've seen almost all of it. And I feel that uh, we can uh, confidently look at what's been spoiled and pick out um, uh, you know, top 10 for both of us, cards that we are most excited about. How, uh, overall, how are you feeling about this set? <clears throat> Uh, did you have to kind of uh, uh, dry the well, so to speak, or are there just tons of cards that you want to talk about, Fred? I think this is not like Moho 2 where we would need to make two episodes. Uh, I would say that 10 was like the perfect number for me to pick. Uh, you know, okay. I liked a couple of the cards that you picked too, but I don't think like, I don't think I could do another episode like we did with Moho 2. But I am more excited for the, the, the set than I thought that I would be. Will, what, what's your relationship to D&D? Are you a D&D &D person? Have you played a lot of D&D? I have played a little bit, um, so I, I would say I'm still in like an introductory phase. But you know, I've played a game or two um, over time. Uh, I think my first introduction was a 3.5. Um, so uh, a, a lot of my base knowledge of uh, D and D comes from buying that player's handbook and reading it by myself, but never actually being able to uh, play a game because I didn't have anybody to play. But I've done a, a couple of campaigns. I remember doing one that was in fourth edition, and I think I've done like the beginning of like 
two in um in fifth edition which is the the current edition and also um i think like the most popular um dungeons and dragons edition there there's been ever i i don't know but i know that uh the current fifth edition has been just a runaway uh success so there are a lot of references in the set that i don't get but there's actually uh quite a few that i do get so it is fun for me to look at the cards and and get those um references that i get what what is your um experience with dnd fred i've played a little bit of dnd i've dm'd a little bit of dnd but none of it was set in the dnd like universe with like the dnd lore it was always like homebrew adventures using the dnd engine so i'm not attached to the dnd lore at all um i have i'm more of a homebrew tabletop guy like uh like over discord or just like you know in person back in the before times, I did really enjoy, um, like, playing playing homebrew tabletop games and, like, indie tabletop games and stuff. But I think the D&D engine is a little bit, like, I think its popularity snowballed, and that's what's caused it to become the biggest tabletop game when there's, like, other engines that run better. Um, but I will say my dad was super into Baldur's Gate for a little while, so I got all the cards that were references to Baldur's Gate, Mm -hmm. um you know he liked the pc game a lot um and i would watch him play it when i was a kid um i i, I don't have an attachment to the DD lore so the cards that i like are not because i'm like soy facing over them because they're a reference to DD. it's because i think they're cool magic cards that'll be fun to play with um sure yeah I that, do, that, that, I... that yeah <laughs> that tracks for you and that's really surprising to hear that like you're like into tabletop games in the way um that you mentioned i, I don't think i really knew that about you yeah, um, you, I, I really love them. I love uh, Monster of the Week, especially, is a really fun one. Um, and then just anything I can, like, get into. I haven't gotten to in a while, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've played quite a bit of, of homebrew tabletop games. Um, and I do, I do really enjoy them. I, I'm always looking for more opportunities to play those. Um, but, yeah, not a big D&D guy. I, I will say one of my, probably my favorite thing about this set is the sort of one-off ability words. I think it would, I'm convinced now fully that it would be really cool for Magic to just use their italics like flavor text at the beginning of card abilities to give them names i think that would be a really cool flavor thing and that's a tool that i really hope they use going forward since they used it in this set and i guess we'll point to it when we get to the first card that does that in our spoilers but that is something that i really love i'm curious what your thoughts are on that oh yeah um i like them i really like the uh uh, uh implementation of it in this set and we'll see a number of cards that do that really well. Um, I, I, speaking of tabletop games, I'm actually, um, okay, so I'm a huge weeb. If you listen to my other podcast, uh, Disdandies, you know this about me. Um, I'm a big Konosuba fan, and um, there is a tabletop RPG that was developed and released in Japan that is getting an English, like a physical release, I believe in October. And I think that I want to see if I can get some sort of like online, um, you know, a, a D&D-like game in the Konosuba tabletop top uh game so that's that that's what i'm looking forward to um but uh yeah yeah so that's my experience with uh tabletop games um i think that this set uh, and i'll talk about this a little bit once we get to the end of the list but i think that this set does do a good job of um transporting uh transposing uh D, &D uh you know tropes uh abilities flavor onto magic cards um with all that being said would you like to move on and just talk about which what cards we're excited about yes i would uh and you've got the first one uh infect has a new toy 
<laughs> no, not not quite, not quite. Um, I don't think this car is super powerful, but um, like you were saying, um, using the um, ability <coughs> words to invoke flavor. Um, I picked this card because I think it's a I think it's a cool uh, limited type card that does this really well. This is choose your weapon. It is a, a three mana green <coughs> instant, so two generic and one green. It's an uncommon, and uh, this is one of those uh, cards you'll see this a couple of times in the set where it is a uh, um a modal card where the whole point of the card is for you to choose options. And these are flavored kind of how you would make choices in a game of D and D. So you choose one out of two options, um, two weapon fighting, and that's the ability, um, ability text there Two weapon fighting double target creatures, power and toughness until end of turn, or you could choose archery. This spell deals five damage to target creature with flying. Um, I, I think that this, uh, having these cards that kind of emulate like um, branching pathways, choices that you would make in D&D, I think that this is a really cool implementation with that ability text, like you or ability uh, keyword flavor text, however you want to call it. Uh, and, you know, that's the 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 problem with uh cards that have narrow choices like this one five damage to target creature of flying you, like that's a good cyborg card but you wouldn't really put that into um you know a main deck uh like um you know tune draft deck but you know mm -hmm. um by having that um by having that choice, that flexibility, it makes it more likely to be an inclusion in the main deck, in your draft deck. So I, I think that this card is just a good confluence of like a number of cool things, both D&D flavor and um, uh, like uh, uh, applications in limited environments. How do you feel about this card, Fred? Yeah, I, I think, uh, for, uh, so from a flavor perspective, I think it's amazing. You know, I love this flavor. I love the art, too. Uh, you know, I feel kind of sorry for the guy in the art because, you know, if he chooses two-weapon fighting, the dragon's going to eat him. And if he chooses archery, those two jabronis are going to gang up on him. But, um, I, I, yeah, I love this card flavorfully, like you said. Um, I think my... the the I, I would say, like, this card is probably card 19 or 20 when you're building your draft deck. Uh, you know, not every deck is going to want them, but, you know, you're not going to scoff at this. This is going to win some bullshit games, and it's going to keep you safe if your opponent pulled one of the five mythic dragons or one of the uncommon dragons. There's a lot of dragons in the set in every color, so uh, this five damage to a flying creature is a little bit better than it is in most sets, I would say. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I would evaluate the card probably similarly to you. I think it does make it into a lot of green limited decks, um, especially, like, it in sealed, I don't know where you'd pick it in draft, but yeah, I think it is a cool flavor, and like you said, like, emulating the choices of D&D. I think this is better, though, because it's in a way that fits better with magic. Um, I don't like the ones that are, like, you happen across a dead body or whatever, like, that are read out, like, DM instructions. I think that breaks the immersion a little bit, but I think this one handles it really well. I really like this card. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just think that this is a good example of good design choices that the um, uh, R&D team made while making uh, this set. So, uh, that being said, what is your first card you want to talk about? I'm excited about this card. It's a good white card. Um, I think the name's a little silly. I know this is from, like, Forgotten Realms or Baldur's Gate or something, but um, Icing Death, it just sounds like it's talking about the kind of icing that goes on a cake or a cookie. Um, I can't really, like, separate it from that in my head. But this is Icing Death Frost Tyrant. Two and double white for a mythic 4-3 legendary dragon with flying and vigilance. And when it dies, create Icing Death Frost Tongue, a legendary white equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus 2-0. And whenever equipped creature attacks, tap target creature defending player controls and equip 2. So this is a decent body. Think, like, um, 
<clears throat> Brunhilde from uh, from uh, the. This is never mind. That's a stupid reference that doesn't really make much sense. Okay, this is a four three flying vigilance for four. That's above rate for limited. Might even see a little bit of standard play. The um, the the fact that it gives you that equipment when it dies is really cool. You know, if this is your top end for an aggressive deck, you're going to get a really awesome equipment to slap on one of your good creatures after this dies. I think it's flavorful. You know, you kill the dragon, you get or the the dragon dies, you get its tongue as a sword. That's kind of metal, mm. uh, and it's just it's just a good card. Great rate does a lot. Uh, I like it. This reminds me of Law of Dark Souls. Um, I mm. don't know if you've played the Law of Dark Souls, um, but uh, I have been forced recently to play a Law of Dark Souls. <laughs> and a lot of the bosses, I mean, this just looks like a Dark Souls boss, but mm -hmm. a lot of those bosses, if you like, are able to attack its tail a lot, its tail will fall off and turn into a weapon. And mm -hmm. a lot of the a lot of the bosses have like weapons that are like attached uh, or that weapons that are a part of like that boss um so basically if you cough the tail you get a weapon that is like a representation of the tail being turned into a weapon or or <clears> some <throat> other things um so this is exactly that on a magic card um so that that's that's a cool uh, a cool thing there um you're you're absolutely right this is just a good good rate um you know get you a card that uh gets you equipment that is useful after it dies uh, and i'm sure that um even though the name's a little silly i'm sure that there are players who would be very excited to see this card or this character represented on a card and you know it it, it just seems just seems like a good card you would never feel bad being able to um being able to play this i think it's a good card yeah this is somebody's waifu um <laughs> i have not played a lot of dark souls uh but what you're describing basically happens in monster hunter too mm. uh and that's kind of like the vibe that i got so yeah i could see that i haven't played much souls like they're too frustrating i like games i like hard games but only ones that i'm immediately good at uh, oh, yeah. And that was that not the case for, for Dark Souls. Um, that tracks, although I, that tracks I for you. It. Yeah. <laughs> I respect it. Uh, but yeah, I think this card's really cool. Uh, I'm glad they made it. Um, so you've got this next card. This is um, probably the closest thing to a spike card that we've listed, right? How do you tell us, tell us about this card? I think so. So uh, one of the things I love <clears> about <throat> Magic is that uh, we have oh, we have such a deep lexicon that we use to talk about our games and a lot of stuff. <laughs> like um uh slang that we use for certain types of game actions will be named after cards that are iconic mm. for doing that thing one of those uh is uh the idea of wishing uh and a, a wish in magic is a card that lets you get a card uh, of some type uh from a quote outside the game and then put it into your hand uh, and uh, in tournament settings, that means your sideboard and casual, you can kind of do just whatever you want. But we've seen a number of wishes over the years that have different uh, parameters. Um, we are finally getting kind of the um, just base wish here. The card is actually just called wish. It is a three mana red sorcery. So two generic, one red. You may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. Now, it's a little different because you don't search the card and put it into your hand. You do actually have to play the card. Um, so I, I'm not going to say that this is like better than all the wishes, but it kind of is the most base out of all of them. There's no restriction mm -hmm. on what the card is. Um, it can be anything. Um, it does, um, you do have to play it that turn, so keep that in mind. But I like the idea that we got all these different wishes and we kind of have 
the base wish um, here. And it kind of makes sense. I, there's a bard character in the art. Um, I think that that's pretty flavorful. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't want to speak to competitive applications because uh, I don't know that, but I just like how they were like, okay, let's just, let's just make the base wish. Uh, I, I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you. Um, I, it's taken a really long time. Um, for them to make this. I do really like when they turn um, magic slang into cards. Will, I have a question for you. Um, so we know my favorite magic slang. Uh, you know, discarding cards from the top of your own deck is greasing your hair back. Creatures dealing mm. damage to each other is rumbling. Um, yeah, you know, magic slang. What are your favorite magic slangs? What are your favorite words that magic players have come up with to represent game action? Um, I am still trying to figure out what mize means. Does anyone know what mize means? I think they, I, I think it's like a huge practical joke that all magic players are playing on me because they keep saying the word mize and I have absolutely no idea what it means. I, I think everybody is just trying to, uh, trying to make fun of me. Yeah. Um, I, I feel the same way. Um, whenever like I get a judge call, they always tell me to put on deodorant, but I don't know if that's like, is that an equipment spell or I don't know. Sometimes they send me home. So I feel like this has gone beyond magic slang. Uh, but no, I have no idea what the fuck Mize means. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, Fred, why don't you tell us about the next card that you're excited about? Yeah, um, so this is uh, Trellisara, Silver Moon Dancer. Um, now, unfortunately, there's not an English image of this card, but I'll just tell you what it does, and you guys can just take my word for it. Trellisara Moon Dancer is a green and a white for a 2-2 legendary elf... Rogue? Cleric? Fuck. Uh, the important thing is, whenever you gain life, scry one and put a plus one plus one counter on Trellisara. This is legendary and it's two colors, but it's a better Ajani's Pride Mate. It's not limited mm -hmm. to once per turn like they've been doing with the life gain trigger effects lately. This card's really strong, and I think it might make modern green-white Soul Sisters a thing, or at least fit into like the Heliod Company value decks. Um, and if not that, then, you know, at least, like, Pioneer might like this. This card's probably going to be fine in draft. Um, just the scrying on top of, um, on top of the, the counter that um, Ajani's Primate normally gets is huge, in my opinion. And, like, it's going to... I don't know. I think it's going to help those decks that kind of... Uh, like, those life gain decks tend to kind of struggle with drawing too many lands in the late game. Like, it'll just kind of kill you because you don't have any way to get out of it. So I feel like this will really help with that. Uh, and I just think it's a cool card. I think it's a very strong card. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it, it's interesting that they're uh, uh, power creeping Ajani's Pride, Pride Mate, uh, Pride Mate um, as, they, yeah, as they do here. Um, I uh, am curious to see how this will actually be implemented uh, because Soul Sisters, I think for the most part, just wants to be mono white. Um, if it's a, uh, if they do a green splash, it would have to be a very light splash. I could see yeah. them maybe wanting maybe like two of these. Um, but uh, I mean, I think they rather just have the full four pride mates because you just want to play as many as you as you can get. Uh, but um, the scry is is really big game. I could see. Um, like Soul Sisters doing like a light green splash for this, and then maybe like um, Collected Company or, or, yeah. or, something, or something like that, because they can get the um, uh, the um, uh, what's her name, the Queen uh, from uh, Throne of Eldraine, uh, double white uh, gain life oh, yeah. creature attacks. You can get that off of a uh, Collected Company, and uh, I, can you get Heliod off of Collected Company as well? You can, yes. That's yeah, why yeah, the Heliod I, Company deck is so good. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that would be a good way to um, see that deck move forward. But uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is just a good card. It, it is uh, the, the legendary kind of, I mean, obviously, um, you know, lowers the power a little bit. But um, I, I am curious to see how decks that want this effect are going to incorporate it. It's it, it's it's interesting because the parameters of it kind of make those decks. It's not just automatic slot in. It evolves the deck a little bit. So that is that will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, the two other things I wanted to say about this are, like, Soul Sisters might go in a more green direction, because you got to remember, there is a green Soul Sister. There is Essence Warden. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it, was a, it was a time-shifted card. And that might, you know, I don't know if this is enough to push the deck over the edge into just white-green, but that's worth mentioning, at least, I feel. Uh, and then the other thing would be, um, this is the first time in a long time it feels like they've put Legendary on a card specifically pretty clearly to say, like, you can't control two of these, instead of just basically a line of text that says, this can be your commander and we're not really worried about the impact it will have on other formats. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like most of yeah. the cards that they've put Legendary on, it's been so that someone can make them their commander, but this one generally, genuinely feels like it's a restriction. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. It is... Um, uh, it, it's good design that the Legendary Clause um, both actually does great things for um, constructed design while also allowing Soul Sisters players to add a uh, have a relevant commander that adds a color that those player that those players might want to and mm -hmm. uh can um has a use beyond helion because I, mm -hmm. I bet you know like right now anybody that's doing soul sisters in any commander format is using helion as their uh as their commander and that makes sense um but you know you get a different take on it if you want to use this as your commander as well and get a color um but yeah, yeah you're right that uh the the legendary clause is uh pulling double duty there and that's good design yeah <laughs> so um departing from good design tell us about this next card so this is the first uh, class enchantment that we've seen so far. And these were uh, spoiled, uh, previewed uh, very late. Um, so like we, I think we've seen all of them now, but um, like we went the first couple of days of spoiler season without knowing about these. So um, a, a lot of the classic D&D &D classes have an enchantment uh, that basically allow you to play the enchantment and um, as you as a player kind of um, get abilities that are um, uh, reminiscent of that class. Um, there are a bunch of them for all the uh, major D&D classes. I've picked the monk class here. When I play D&D, the monk class is uh, the class that I usually go for um, to play. Mm -hmm. And um, I just like this card. I think it does a great job of... Um, uh, articulating what the monk class does in D&D. So um, these look a lot like sagas, as you can see on the screen, um, but they're a little different, uh, and they, they're very reminiscent of the level up mechanic uh, in some ways, uh, and different in some ways too. So when you play the enchantment, it stays in play, uh, and it has a base ability. However, each of these classes have uh, levels to them, and there is a mana cost... Um, associated with moving to that level but unlike level up where you pay costs and you get level up counters and then once you get the you know a certain amount of counters you get certain abilities um this is basically you pay the cost you go up a level there are no counters um involved you are just permanently at that level and this enchantment uh, this class enchantment permanently has whatever that level 
ability is. So enough about the, the class uh, enchantments. The monk class is two, uh, two colors. It's Azoria, so one white and one blue. The base ability is the second spell you cast each turn costs one generic less to cast. So uh, for those of you that are familiar with the monk in D&D, the idea is that if they fight un, uh, unarmed, just like with their mm -hmm. fist or with like a simple monk weapon, um, their abilities allow them to get multiple of these weaker attacks in. So they're, you know, you're hitting them four or five times with your fist, where a fighter or something is only getting one or two swings with their whatever weapon they're using. So that <laughs> yeah. is that is reminiscent of that. Um, if you if you pay um, the exact same cost, so one white, one blue, you go up to level two, and then this is not stack ability; it's a triggered ability. When this class becomes level two, return up to one target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. And, and all of these levels are at sorcery speed, so you can't do this at instant. Um, but you go up to level two, uh, you return, uh, you bounce one of your opponent's non-land permanents, um, which I think also is um, you know monks are very agile, they're very acrobatic. Uh, mm -hmm. A, uh, I was gonna say aerobic, uh, but um, uh, athletic. <laughs> yeah, athletic. So that is kind of reminiscent of that as well. You pay that cost, you bounce something, and then you can just you know keep flurry of blows at them. Um, and then one more level. This is level three. One generic, one white, one blue. So three mana total. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library for as long as it remains exiled. It has you may cast this card from exile as long as you've cast another spell this turn. So it, it, it in reality, like gets you an extra card each turn. So like a one-sided howling mind that wants mm -hmm. you to just keep playing spells over and over again. So it's like a, a flurry of unarmed blows in overdrive and netting you cards. Um, I, 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 again, I can't, I don't feel I can speak to constructed applications of this card. I'm sure there is a good deck that could be built with this. I just love how this is very reminiscent of what the monk class does in D&D. &D. And I just think this is a really cool um, implementation. How do you feel about this card in particular, Fred? Uh, finally, Volcells and Magic. Um, <laughs> yep. I don't know. I... I'm a little less high on it than you are. I feel like if the bottom mode said play instead of cast, it'd probably be a little bit better. Uh, but as it stands, if it exiles a land, you can't play it. Um, I wish that they had found a way... These, like, leveling up enchantments, these enchantments that you can pay to sort of upgrade later in the game are a really cool idea, and I wish they'd tied them less to D&D &D flavorfully. I don't want this to be a Bushido issue. You know what I mean? Where they've got a cool mechanic that has a lot of room to grow, but they've tied it to something flavorfully that makes it difficult to reprint in the future. And that's my worry with these classes, because I think this is such a neat idea, and I love most of the class cards. Monk is probably my second favorite behind the one that I picked, which we'll see later. Um, but yeah, I think these have a lot of design space. I think this one in particular is cool. It's evocative of what a monk does in D&D. &D. Uh, you know, even I know enough about D&D &D to, to know that, yeah, that checks out. Um, yeah, this is a cool this is a cool card. I like it a lot, uh, and I'm glad you picked it. I might have picked it if you didn't. I don't know. It is. I I love the card. I don't know if I would want to play a deck that uses it, uh, this at, at its uh, full potential. That's not really the kind of deck that I like to play. Uh, yeah. But um, may, maybe there's like a heroic type deck that would uh, like to use, uh, use this. Maybe like a Jeskai Feather 
or, or, or something like that uh, could make good huh. use of this. But I, I am very curious to see how this plays out. Um, I, I think that I'm kind of um, on the opposite end of you when it comes to like the growth potential of this ability uh, or this uh, card type, the uh, the class enchantment. I don't really think there's all that much that can go forward with this because if you think about classes like you know um uh, you know like uh, groupings like jobs uh that you know a character or a player can have the you can't really go any farther than just D&D classes you know it's like uh, what what class would you choose that isn't just a already a D&D class and isn't already represented by the class cards that we're getting in this set like are we going to have like samurai class or like um oh, what's a, what's a weird thing like phyrexian class you know it it really is just these base like uh jobs that you would find in any sort of RPG. So um, I don't mind them kind of um, blowing their load, so to speak, uh, on uh, all of these class cards in this one set, because I don't see a lot of room for growth in this unless Magic does something very weird um, with this uh, card type going forward. But I am very excited to hear what um, class card you picked later. Yeah, I, I will say, so what I was what I was kind of trying to get at was, I think these enchantments that upgrade themselves by paying mana shouldn't have been called classes specifically because there's not a lot of room within that, but I think there is a lot of room within enchantments that upgrade themselves based on a mana cost, so long as you don't name them classes. You know what I mean? That makes a lot of sense. I, I thank you for clarifying that. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. However, we have to think if Wizards goes back to this well, they're going to put some weird, like, set-specific spin on it when they do it then. So, uh, you know, yeah. uh, what, what, if we ever go back to this, it's going to have something weird about it that we uh, uh, have to uh, remember, uh, too. So, uh, yeah, ho hopefully they, they find ways to go back to this and make it more unique and uh, see, see what else is in this well. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, if we ever get a Final Fantasy night, a Final Fantasy set, we'll get like a Chocobo Knight class and a member of My <laughs> Chemical Romance class. Um, hey, man, but do do un Uncharted Realms, uh, uh, Secret Layer. There are tons of opportunities. You know, I, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying, give Secret Layer another chance. You might get what you want. I will absolutely not. Speaking of not getting what I want, I wish Adult Gold Dragon had one more toughness. Uh, this mm. is three a red and a white for a four three rare dragon with flying, lifelink, and haste. That's all the text. Go home, folks. Um, very good card, except that it dies to bolt. I think this card will be fine. I just like creatures that have, like, three keywords and trying to evaluate how good they are. The Baneslayer Angels of the world, and I think this is a good example of that kind of, um, design. How do you feel about Adult Bolt Dragon? Yeah, like a Mantis Rider, which I think has these exact keywords, uh, on it. Um, Flying Vigilance Haste. I wish it had oh. Lifeline. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Um, yeah, uh, like Mantis Rider ended up being uh, constructed playable, and people just love that card. You know, like uh, uh, having like uh, these um, uh, keyword, like it's not really keyword soup, but like a collection of keywords that work really well together and make the card play a lot better than it looks on the surface. People love that. I would absolutely love to open this in any sort of a limited environment and just oh, yeah. slam it down. It's exactly what. I wouldn't be doing. Um, in terms of constructive playability, uh, I mean, you, you, I mean, Gold Vein Dragon has to leave before this has influence, <laughs> right? Yeah, Gold Span Dragon. Uh, yeah, 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 something like that. Um, 
so yeah, unfortunately, I do not think this is going to um, be relevant for a while, but maybe in the future we could uh, uh, go back to this if Boros needs um, a uh, a big flying hasty beater like this. I love the art. I love how like shimmery it is. It almost looks like copper uh, more than gold. But um, yeah, I just um, this is a card to remember exists in the future. Oh yeah, I think that's probably where I would land on it as well. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that one. You've got one next that would be like the last thing I would think you would pick. Oh, okay. So this is the first of the uh, D20 cards. Um, we did not have di like real dice rolling, like roll a dice, uh, roll a die and the number you get matters uh, to what happens on the card in in the like oh geez like what 27 years that magic's been around um uh, don't quote me on that it's probably not that uh but um in in the many many years that magic has been around we have never had cards that cared about what you rolled on a die until this set and this is really the the set to bring that back you know like uh, uh rolling a d20 is so integral to uh dungeons and dragons it would be insane to have a dungeons and dragons set that does not have rolling d20s and we have a lot of cards that um uh, have this mechanic on them uh and i like this one it is treasure chest uh, it is a three mana artifact uh it is a rare um it doesn't do anything on the field it just sits until you pay for generic mana and sacrifice treasure chest to roll a d20 and um in if you've ever looked at a DD &D book uh whenever you get um uh, you get like die table or dice tables. There might be a technical term for it, but if something mm -hmm. happens, you roll a die and depending on what number you get, there are like tiers of what happens. And we, we are getting those on magic cards now. So when you roll a D 20, depending on the number you get, um, determines what treasure chest is going to do as you're sacrificing it. If you get a one, which, you know, if you get a one in dungeons and dragons, it means like it's a critical miss or like something bad happens. You like yeah. fumble and like drop your weapon or something really bad happens on this card if you get a one um you're trapped and you lose three life so you do nothing you just lost life the card was a wash um if you get a two through nine so that is just slightly less than 50 percent of the times of you rolling rolling the die you get uh, create five treasure tokens um so you have to pay mana to sacrifice treasure chest but you do get a bump in uh mana available to you with treasure tokens and there are cards in the set that care about um using treasure tokens to cast cards um 10 through 19 so again just a little bit less than uh, 50 percent of the card you gain three life and draw three cards uh, and this is the one that most people are going to try to be getting um because mm -hmm. you know gaining three life drawing three cards off of one card that's pretty good for a, a, um, a sorcery that or a, a, an artifact that just sits there but if you get the critical hit if you get the nat 20 search your library for a card if it's an artifact card you may put it onto the battlefield otherwise put that card into your hand then shuffle so you get demonic tutor or you just get a free uh artifact if you have one of those in your deck uh if you want to play that um so I love the flavor of this card. I love that D20 is uh, coming uh, to Magic. Um, I don't know how it's going to be implemented, you know, throughout the years, but um, I'm glad to see it in this set. I have another couple of cards that deal with uh, rolling D20, and um, 
the, the question the question is do you want to play this trying to get the 20 is there enough going on in the set to where that is a reasonable goal or are you just always trying to um get that like upper level of what's going on in this card um i i don't know about constructive playability but i do just love the flavor of this card how do you feel about this card fred yeah uh this the flavor of this card is awesome um I have strong opinions about increasing, arbitrarily increasing the amount of RNG in a game. Um, I also think this card is terrible, like from a gameplay perspective, just because like it would barely be standard playable if you always rolled a twenty. Um, the ten through nineteen ability is just like harmonized, but you had to pay three mana also this per the previous turn, uh, and you gain three life in exchange for it only actually being able to happen half the time. The five treasure tokens just gives you back some of the mana that you spent on the card in the first place. So, like, I think this card is pretty awful, but I think you have a, a no-win scenario when you're trying to design a card that involves rolling a d20, which is that if you design it around what's going to happen on average, then it's going to feel terrible for your opponent, for the player's opponent, every time that you get the 20 result. But if you cost it around it rolling the 20 like it seems like this card has, it's kind of costed as if you're going to roll 20 every time, then the card is just unplayable. So you either have an unplayable card or a card that feels terrible for your opponent, which is why I feel that card games have enough randomness inherent in the deck shuffling already. Um, and I don't think that they need to add rolling a 20-sided die where you have two 1 in 20 possibilities. I get that this card is flavorful and fun, and I would rather they be costed at a level that they're unplayable then they'd be good enough to see play in standard but i'm still like i just i don't find them to be compelling designs i find them to be a bit like i i i don't know i find them to be a bit like uh i don't like them very much yeah that tracks for you i would i would have guessed <laughs> that about you based yeah. on uh other conversations that we've had um yeah you you seem like you really prefer lower rng in your games and i think i would be on the the opposite end of that i actually i like more rng in my games i, I mean i'm i'm the guy with the coin flip uh, commander deck you know i've always been a fan of those types of cards so it tracks for me that i would like uh cards like this um i really don't think that any of the uh, dice rolling cards are going to make it to uh, constructed like standard or formats uh, like that other than commander but um yeah i just i i love the flavor of this and, and i just i just think it's cool that there are cards that um kind of increase rng um for me to have fun with and for also to frustrate uh you i imagine if you're playing <laughs> uh you know this set like sealed or draft and you lose to this card you're you're really gonna hate it aren't you yeah, although I think, you know, the the losing to this card is kind of predicated on your opponent having a good artifact to grab with the 20 ability, which will not usually happen in limited, so I'm not terribly worried about that. Uh, I would be more worried if the card, like, uh, has a really good effect on its own. That would mm -hmm. be my concern. Because um, in limited, like, you have to draft an artifact that's worth this, and I think in that case you'd probably rather just cast it. But I don't like it either way. It would feel awful to lose to this. This is one of my least favorite cards. Uh, this might be one of my least favorite magic cards of all time. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, well, let's let's move on. Let's talk about your next uh, card that you're excited about. All right, um, this is uh, Albear. Uh, again, not a good English image of this card, uh, but Albear is three and double green for a creature, uh, bird bear. 
4-4 uh, with Trample, and um, whenever Owlbear, en when Owlbear enters the battlefield, draw a card. So this is a very good Pizza Rhino. For those of our listeners who are not aware of what a Pizza Rhino is, there was a card in M19, and then again in M20, that was um, a, a, a rocks that was staring into a sort of scrying pool, uh, and the scrying pool just looked like a hot, melty cheese pizza. Um, so the nickname for the card became Pizza Rhino. It costs four and a green for a 4-2 that when it enters draws a card. Very playable in its limited format. It was also a common. But it seems like they've just been printing better and better Pizza Rhinos to give green as their bread and butter common creatures, and I love it. Uh, you know, we're talking just four to six drop creatures that have a decent body and draw you a card when they come in. And a five mana four four with trample that draws you a card when it comes in, it doesn't get much better than this. You know, I feel like this is going to be the um, the Professor of Zoomancy of this set, just the green common that you want literally as many copies of as you can get in your in your green limited deck. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think that this will be a um, defining card for for green in the limited environment. The Albear has, um, to my understanding, has a, a bit of a special place in the hearts of uh, D and D uh, players. Like uh, I, I I know that the Albear is like really well liked as like an iconic monster in uh, in D and D. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, appropriate that um, such a liked monster gets a card that is both common, so you'll see it a lot, and also mm -hmm. has this uh, high level of limited playability. So yeah, I, th I think this is a great card, a great place to put the Owlbear. It would have been really um, unfortunate if this card was uh, was bad, right? Yeah, or was like a, a mythic or something. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be cool to get to play with this a lot. I love the art, love the card. I'm excited to play with this Unlimited. I think this might be the best common in the set. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited to play with it. Uh, you've got this next one, and I think this is the perfect thing to talk about these sort of flavor words on. But yeah, tell us about Pixie Guide. Pixie Guide. Um, so I think that this card has already got errata um, because there's another <laughs> dice rolling card that um, kind of gets crazy with this. Um, so this is Pixie Guide. Uh, it is a uh, two mana, uh, one three creature fairy, uh, one generic, one blue. It has flying. So, you know, two mana, one three flying, but its ability grant an advantage. If you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the rollest, uh, the lowest roll. Um, it is blowing my mind that they made Kark's Thumb at common on a creature in the same set that cares about um, rolling d20. I, I was like, is, is this just Kark's Thumb at common on a creature? Um, and um, it's not quite that, uh, you know, based on the probabilities, um, which I think makes it safe for this to um, be something that you can play a lot of and uh have stack um but like mm -hmm. if you are trying to do anything with dice rolls um this is definitely a card you're going to uh want to be uh looking for and a card that's going to slot into any commander deck that's trying to do anything with dice rolling um so i'm very curious to see how this is going to play out in limited if you have a lot of uh dice rolling cards uh and cards that um uh, a, a number of this card is is this creature which is just a win three flyer for two you know i mean that's below yeah it's right, got a body you want to play anyway yeah yeah it's not a terrible uh body it's worth consideration um having multiples of these at common is that going to push the dice rolling cards over the edge uh in anything other than just like casual commander um what do you think about this card 
Uh, I think no to that. Uh, I think it's a good card. It's a good enough card that you would play it in limited anyway. Uh, it's going to improve a couple of your dice rolling cards if you want them, but it's a 1-3 flyer for two, which you're going to take anyway. And I think limited is going to be this card's home. Uh, I don't think there's a critical mass of dice rolling cards that would allow a commander deck to be built. Although, you know, they are releasing a bunch of commander decks alongside this, so it's possible that we will get one. But I guess good for the players who want that, um, and I'm happy they're not printing cards that are good enough to make dice rolling a real, like, standard or historic deck because I don't think it would be fun to play against. Yeah, that that, that makes yeah. sense. Um, I Yeah, I'm just very curious to see how this is going to play out. Uh, and um, I, I am wondering if, like, with a card like this and then other rolling D20s, I'm thinking about maybe putting some of these cards into my coin flip uh, commander deck, uh, you know, Zender Split and uh, Ocom. Um, because there are a number of cards in there that are also kind of mini game cards. Like there's a lot of like factor fiction type effects. There's goblin mm -hmm. game. Um, so I'm wondering if that's another like direction I want to go with that deck. So th this card really has me thinking about, um, uh, applications for that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, and I think it's good that like, if a card makes somebody think it's a good card. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, yes, yeah, so your next card. Oh, so this is the class card that you were talking about. Tell us about yeah, this Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a ranger class. Uh, so the couple times I've played D&D, I've, I've played a, a druid most of the time. But the ranger is uh, pretty cool. It's one of my favorite classes in Fire Emblem, although it's pretty much a completely different thing there. Um, but this is ranger class. It's one in a green for a class uh, enchantment. When ranger class enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. For one and a green, you can take the level two, where whenever you attack, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature. And for three and a green, you can take it to level three. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library, and it's a rare. So, this card's awesome. It's just a two mana two two, which is already fine. You know, it's good and limited. It's, it's on rate. Uh, and then when you take it up to level two, like even if the two two's dead you know, you still, you have this ability for the rest of the game, basically. I mean, obviously they can destroy your class enchantment, but like just for the rest of the game, getting to put a counter on something every time you attack is huge. It's, like, a way better Exalted, and this enchantment has it. Um, and then for three and a green, you know, you sort of get the Nylia effect, um, where you can look at the top card of your library and you can cast creature spells from it. That's insane. You know, it's a lot of mana investment over the course of the game, but, like, basically just saying, like, you get a decent spell, you get a decent effect that this kind of is permanent, uh, as long as you like take a turn off of casting spells, you just spend the mana on this, is awesome. And it comes on a two-mana 2-2, two -two, you know. Uh, and, of course, mm -hmm. these uh, enchantments aren't legendary. So, like, you can play multiple ranger classes, have multiple of the level 2 abilities, and just, like, every time you swing, put three plus some plus some counters on a creature. This is great. I think this card's really strong. I think it's evocative of the ranger class, I guess, but I'm more concerned with how fun it's going to be to play with, and I think it's going to be very fun to play with. Great cube card, too. Yeah, it looks like this just, uh, if you just want to um, curve out and, uh, you know, just play this as your 2-2 two -two and then, you know, just uh, um, use this as your your, your curving out, it, it does seem like it plays very well. Um, you brought up an interesting point that you can play multiples of these. I wonder if that's going to cause, because um, this doesn't use counters, um, I wonder if this is going to cause um, memory issues uh, in paper play. Is that something that you're concerned about? No, I mean, I think people are still going to use dice to represent the level, so I don't think it'll be an issue. Like, the game right. not technically registering them as counters is important to remember for stuff like Vorinclex or whatever, but, like, people are just going to put a die on there for whatever level it is, and I don't think that's going to be an issue. You know, people can already keep track of how many loyalty there all their different planeswalkers have and how many pulse on counters all their different creatures have, so I'm not concerned with it. Okay, sure. That that's that's fair to know. Uh, yeah, I, I love this card. Yeah, this definitely seems like the one that, uh, the one that I've seen that seems 
the most like uh maybe i shouldn't say that um the, the scene <laughs> I, I could see constructed applications for this card yeah i could too and if not it's just going to be a, one of the best rares and limited yeah yeah it, it looks good i would definitely want to play this in any limited environment yeah so uh you've got an interesting one next this is 50 feet of rope tell us about it yeah, so uh, earlier we were talking about how the um, ability words were adding a lot of flavor to this uh, to this set. And so I thought that this was a flavor home run. Uh, if Absolutely. you're bringing D&D, if you're bringing D&D to Magic, you have to have rope. So this is 50 feet of rope. Uh, un, it's an uncommon artifact, one generic mana, uh, and it has three, you know, it sits on the ability and has three abilities that you can pay mana and tap for. Um, first one, climb over. Um, you just tap it, no mana. Target wall can't block this turn. That's that's pretty cool. Don't know the, the practical applications of that, but it's there. Tie up, three generic mana and tap. Target creature doesn't untap turns, controller's next and tap step. So like a worse icing manipulator, but it is there. And that has a lot of uh, good applications. I don't think I need to tell anybody that icing manipulator is a good card. Yeah. Uh, and then repel down, four generic mana and tap. Venture into the dungeon, activate only as a sorcery. Is this the first uh, dungeon card that we've been talking, uh, that we've talked about? Yeah, I guess it is. I <laughs> I don't like the mechanic very much, so it wasn't anywhere on my list, but I think if you're going to do the mechanic, this is the best way to do it. The venture into the dungeon mechanic is very complicated. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but basically certain things in Magic will have you venture into the dungeon, and then there's a token card that you can use, uh, and you basically go through it there's a number of different rooms uh, rooms and then once you get to the end of it you get a pretty good effect and you have completed a dungeon which some cards care about a lot of people are talking about whether venturing into the dungeon will have any application in constructed magic people are going to try it and if you're going to try it you need a very consistent ways to venture into the dungeon there is another card which i didn't pick um but it's a mana rock that also has an ability like this you could pay mana tap it venture into the dungeon this is uh more expensive but it also has a bad icy manipulator attached to it so if you're going to use this in uh constructed you're gonna have to have an ability like this that is repeatable and doesn't require you to um do other complicated things and this is just a flavor home run in terms of bringing D&D uh, to Magic. So that's why I like this card. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think the, the the legendary that ventures whenever it attacks is another one that has a chance maybe. But yeah, I I like this card. Um, it's very, it is, like you said, very flavorful. It's probably the most flavorful card in this set. Uh, and that repel down ability is pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, pretty, I think you pretty much, I, I don't have anything new to say about this that you haven't said. I think it's a good card. Okay, yeah, that's all I got to say about Why don't we talk about your next card? Uh, this was one of the first cards to be uh, spoiled for the set, right? Yeah, I would say this is, like, one of the highest, my highest picks for, like, being potentially modern playable, uh, or at the very least historic playable. This is Power Word Kill. It's an uncommon instant for one in a black. Destroy target, non-angel, non-demon, non-devil, non-dragon creature. Those four creature types are not only a lot less populous than the creature types that are eliminated by um, Victim of Night, but this is also one in a black, and it's an instant. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, like, honestly, this feels less restrictive than Doomblade, which saw play forever ago in Modern and hasn't really since. Um, like, I can't think of any Modern... 
Like, I, I think the most relevant thing on here is probably Dragon, uh, in mm -hmm. terms of modern. There are a couple of dragons that see some modern play. Not really any angels, um, not really any demons, certainly not any devils. Um, do you think this sees modern play? Uh, I, I mean, I look at this and I'm thinking cast down, uh, destroy target non-legendary creature. That's the mm -hmm. card that I would be um, looking at. Um, you're, you're right. Um, this is a good um, uh, play on this kind of upgraded Doomblade that we've been getting recently, where it, it is restrictive in a way that you have to at least kind of care about. But overall, it does almost get everything um you know like uh cast you know like there are lots of legendary creatures that see play in uh, multiple different formats so cast down is not just you know completely you know um unconditional destroy target creature um this one i mean there are uh i i don't really like that list of uh creature types um because i can think of good cards that are of all those or maybe not devil but angel demon dragon there are cards that see play like you said it's not a lot but it's enough for me to not really want to to play this card i think that the the restriction on this card is uh is um more restrictive than it looks on the surface um if i had to choose between those two i would probably choose cast down um really? but um there yeah yeah um but i would really not um i wouldn't count this card out and i wouldn't be surprised that if in an open meta this was the um correct choice i i really think this is better than cast down like what is what is um what does cast down kill that this doesn't uh and what does this kill that cast down doesn't the only things that cast down kills that this doesn't would be like storm breath dragon um and i think that's it honestly um and or i guess glory bringer maybe sees a little bit of modern play uh and the things that this kills that cast down doesn't are like tassiger uh maybe i should have come prepared with more examples but i think that alone is enough uh, but i know I, there's more i'm going to i'm going to listen to you on this you know you know more of the uh, the current meta uh than i do so i'm going to let you uh i'm, I'm going to let you uh have this uh for mod. oh it kills ragavan too Yep, that, that, seem, that yep. seems like a good game. And Asmarano, Marduk, Dice, and Nicoldicar. Yep, yep. All right, uh, but you've got this next one. This is a big creature that I uh, I would expect you to expect me to want to pick, but I would not expect you to pick. It has haste, so uh, that really <laughs> makes me love the I card. I didn't notice that. Okay, yeah, no, now I understand. Continue. Frog Hemoth. Uh, now we've talked on this podcast before that I'm not really one for those kind of like uh, uh, soy face. Uh, oh, it, it's we're, we're taking uh, uh, creature types that are like silly together and putting them together on a Simic card. That doesn't really get me, but I do love the way this card reads uh, in terms of uh, gameplay. Frog Hemoth. It is um, five mana, three generic, and two green for a creature frog horror. It's a four four and it's rare. It has Trample Haste, so 5 mana, 4-4, four, four, Trample Haste. Whenever Frog Hemoth deals combat damage to a player, exile up to that many target cards from their graveyard. Put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Frog Hemoth. For each creature card exiled this way, you gain 1 life for each non-creature card exiled this way. So it's a weird twist on um, Scavenging Ooze when yeah. it hits your opponent. I don't think you really want to play this thinking that you're going to get a lot of value off of um, 
the plus one plus one counters or anything like that even though that is kind of a a good gravy that's on top of this card i just like it as a uh four four trample haste for five mana in green um and with with um an ability that they have to kind of care about once it's on the field um i just think this is just a really cool package of a card and, and uh, if i was building like any sort of like mono green brawl deck this is definitely something i would want to um uh, uh slot in there and i know that there yeah. are tons of players that would really love the flavor of this card you know frog hemoth there are people that like that kind of you know um silly we're putting weird uh creature types together so i'm glad that this card exists for those players as well uh, i mean you're kind of the resident green player here how do you feel about this card so i'm definitely one of those players that soy faces over shit like shark and the crab i'll go ahead and admit it um i am not super high on this card i think you'll see standard play for sure um, just like in those monogreen stompy decks. It's a decent sideboard option too, I guess. I don't think it'll see any play outside of there. Maybe it's a decent cube card, but I think you would just rather have scavenging ooze, mostly because of the instant speed activation. Um, Clothis is only so good because it's so cheap and impossible to remove, uh, and this is does not have those virtues that Clothis has. Um, so I think usually when you're going for graveyard disruption in mono green, um, you're going to just go with scavenging use because you can force them to try to expend the resources to interact with their own graveyard, and then you can eat it in response, which you just can't do with something that only does it when it attacks or deals combat damage to a player. So that's my official stance on Frog Hemoth. But I think it is going to be decent and standard, and it's obviously good and limited. Like just a five mana four four trample haste is good and limited, let alone one that can make itself bigger and gain some life. Yeah, yeah. We need a uh, questing beast to leave first. Uh, it's again like the, <laughs> the adult gold dragon. Uh, like questing beast is kind of the card that uh, immediately trumps this. Once that leaves, like remember that this card exists if you're looking for this type yeah. of ability in green. For sure. Yeah, which it leaves in three months. So. Yeah, yeah. Not not yeah. <laughs> too far away for those who are waiting for a powered down standard format. So uh, tell us Although... about your. Yes. Gold, Goldspan Dragon does stick around, right? Goldheim doesn't uh, rotate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You still have a year on that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be 15 months. Okay, you, you tell us about your next card. Um, I cannot read this card, uh, so you're going to have to tell me what it does. Yeah, I do not speak lasagna either. Um, this is uh, Trickster's Talisman. Um, the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and um, when it deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice Trickster's Talisman to uh, create a token that is a copy of the creature, uh, and it equips for two. So this is a very powerful um, pseudo-short sword. Like, it costs one more to equip, but, like, if you put this on something big or a flyer when you hit them, you can sack the Talisman to make another copy of the creature, which is, like, insane to me. Um, I, I think this card's really strong. I think it'll be very good and limited. You'll probably want to play multiple copies of it. And, like, if you're in blue and, like, you want a short sword, which a lot of limited decks want a short sword, you're going to go with the one that can let you potentially make extra copies of the creature when it hits your opponent. Will, how do you feel about this card? Yeah, um, as you said, this is this feels like a card that uh plays a lot better than it reads off the top um you know mm -hmm. um yeah once you actually like make a token off of this card it's probably going to feel like the best thing you've ever done in magic uh and, you know for for such a low cost uh yeah so i i definitely uh, i can see why this is an uncommon uh for the uh for the limited environment and i'm really curious it's just interesting to see a short sword in um uh in blue right yeah uh, which kind yeah. of kind of yeah, it kind of makes it to where you really need to pay attention reading the card uh, to make sure you understand what's doing. But yeah, I would I would absolutely not want to see this on my opponent's side of the field in limited. 
Yeah, I, I, I would not. And I would love to see this on my side of the field limited. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, speaking of things that you don't want to see on your opponent's side of the field limited, tell us about Sphere of Annihilation. Yeah, so um, white gets the unconditional sweepers. Black gets sweepers with a condition. And this is a very interesting... Um, uh, uh iteration on that um so i imagine the sphere of annihilation is like um like something like well known for dnd players but this is a uh this is a black artifact one black and then x uh and it's a rare sphere of annihilation enters the battlefield with x void counters on it at the beginning of your upkeep exile sphere of annihilation all creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it and all creatures and planeswalker cards in graveyards with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. So you have to pay the mana and it has to sell on the field for one turn. But if your opponent cannot deal with it or like, you know, get rid of all their, their board or, you know, get value out of what they have that's about to go, mm -hmm. Spear of Annihilation, uh, Exiles, everything of that x or less um i'm curious uh if um i mean having it be on the field for a turn um you know obviously weakens the card but if yeah. it goes off if it goes off it's a very powerful um uh sweeper effect uh and you know the the, the being delayed a turn sucks but you get extra sweeper power based on that um i think that this will just be a standard only card but um like i i i definitely think that this is going to be a um uh, a brawl card uh, lots of people are going to play this in brawl and um yeah just very curious to see if having to take that one turn off makes the card constructed playable how do you feel about that uh yeah i don't think the turn off is that big of a deal i think that yeah like your opponent being able to answer it is gonna suck um but i think this card's fine um it's also worth noting like you know you just play this for one black and get rid of all tokens um mm -hmm. On the next turn, yeah, like, I I think this card's fine. I think it's, uh, it's the kind of thing where I, it might see some modern sideboard play. It's hard to tell, because there's a lot of effects that are a lot like this, and I think better players than me will figure out which one is the best one. Yeah, that, that's, that's, um, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think this doesn't get out of standard, but honestly, probably since this is such a powerful sweeper and is so flexible on different turns uh, of the game that um, I, I imagine that this will probably be a um, a good sweeper to keep in mind for the standard format. Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. All right, why don't you tell us about your next card, another one that I'm not able to read, um, but um, looks very close to um, the one that you talked about before. Yeah, so um, this is uh, <laughs> Reaper's Talisman, or Talisman of the Reaper, uh, another one that's in Italian. Um, this is a black. Um, whenever this creature attacks, um, or whenever equipped creature attacks, uh, it gets Death Touch until end of turn. Um, and whenever it attacks alone, uh, it drains the defending player for two life, and you gain two life. So, and then it equips for two. I think this card's sneaky good, right? The Death Touch is obviously great. It's probably worth it on its own for that but then if it if, you, if it attacks by itself which you know often it will be anyway you just slap this on a one one it swings it hits them for three and you gain two every turn and i mean if they block it then you know that's great you just get to trade with their creature and then you can put this onto another one one 
So the better your deck is at making little tokens, I think the better this card's going to be, but I think this card definitely deserves a slot in most black limited decks. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, it just sits on the field and then every creature that you draw um, has the um, opportunity to uh, put the hurt on your opponent's life total. Yeah, that's definitely something that um, uh, I would want to try to remove as soon as possible because Absolutely. then it's yeah then it's like it doesn't matter which card you're you're drawing like uh, every every creature is going to hit you for at least a little bit a four point life swing you know that's um that's uh something scary to think about yeah yeah absolutely uh i think this card is definitely worth considering at least um maybe yeah probably not for constructed but definitely for limited um <clears throat> yep yeah uh, and then you've got this next card Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Cave of the Frost Dragon, uh, as as like one of the rare land cycles that we're getting in this set are um, special man or uh, creature lands. Um, so they are kind of reminiscent of the um, Scars of Mirror and Kaladesh fast lands. Um, uh -huh. You know where you want to play them as early as uh, possible, or else they come into play tapped. Um, but they're monocolored, and then they have the ability to turn into a creature. I think all of them have a constructive playability. I don't think any any of them are like you know super bad. Um, but um, I think that this one is going to be the best because of flying. So this is the white one, Cave of the Frost Dragon, uh, a rare land. If you control two or more other lands. Cave of the Frost Dragon enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, so you want to play it as uh, you know your first or second land of the uh, of the game. Taps for white mana, and then you can pay five mana to have Cave of the Frost Dragon become a three four white dragon creature with flying until end of turn. It's still a land. I I don't think that it is um, controversial to say that Celestial Colonnade is the best out of the world wake creature lands, basically because of the stats that that creature gets the 4-4 four, four flying uh, uh flying vigilance we are maybe not vigilance um but um, yes, i think i think this one having flying over all of the other creature lands is going to put it in the tier above all of those uh, i i you know we we know how much a uh, effect like this is valued in like a, a hard control deck and this is the one i think is going to have the most constructed application how do you feel about this as a creature land I actually disagree with you. I think all of them are good. I'll go ahead and put that out there first. And I think Cave of the Frost Dragon is definitely strong. I think in those hard control decks, the thing about... Um, the reason Celestial Colonnade saw that much play was because it was just in the best colors for that at the time. Um, and not necessarily much about the creature. Like, like if, you're, if your goal is to have your opponent not have any creatures anyway, which is typically the goal with hard control deck, why would you pick a 4-4 over something that's a 3-3 but then gets a counter every time it attacks? Uh, AKA Raging Ravine, and it's because you're already in the colors the way you play Celestial Colonnade. I would argue that Raging Ravine uh, is the best of the that cycle, although Creeping Tar Pit is also very good. And that's not to say that Celestial Colonnade's bad, but I think in terms of if any of these cards see play in standard, which I think they will, like the the comes in tapped unless you control two or more other, or unless if you control two or more other cans, other lands is like leagues better than just coming in tapped period and being able to have for two colors. I think Cave of the Frost Dragon is going to be good, but I think Den of the Bugbear, which is the red one, it costs one less to activate, and it's a 3-2, and when it attacks, you also get an attacking 1-1. One, one. That one is probably going to be the best for hard control decks, because if you can run your opponent out of creatures, leaving behind a permanent 1-1 one, one, and hitting for the same amount of damage as Cave of the Frost Dragon is really going to be what gets you there. Man, I don't know. Three two is just so fragile, and you no know, no evasion. It just uh, it just sits on the uh, on the ground. I I totally hear you, and I think that it has uh, the necessary 
power level for constructed but like it's it's just the three two with no evasion like that's so easy to deal with um but uh, i guess we'll just have to see i think that control decks will probably want to be looking at all of the cre or creature lands and kind of based on the meta decide um what they want i can definitely see sometimes where you would really want uh the um the red one over the white one um but um i i do think the the white one's the one i'm gonna look at first if i'm looking for this effect that's fair, yeah. Uh, I think I like the red one and the black one the best, speaking of which. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So this yeah, is Hive so of... Let, yeah, let's, let's move on to your next uh, one. This is Hive of the Eye Tyrant. This is a land. Uh, if you control two or more other lands, it enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for black, or you can pay three and a black, uh, which is one cheaper than the last one. Uh, until end of turn, Hive of the Eye Tyrant becomes a 3-3 black beholder creature token with menace, and whenever this creature attacks, exile target card from defending player's graveyard. It's still a land. Um, I think the thing that's cool about this mostly is, so I really love Beholders. I think they're really neat. Um, I think they're one of the coolest creatures in, like, D&D. &D. Uh, and I like, I like this effect fine. Like, exiling a card from a graveyard is relevant. Menace is relevant as well. Probably not quite as good as Flying, but still pretty good. Uh, and it costs one less to activate, so you get to hit him for three, you get to exile something from their yard. Um, I think this will be good in, like, mono-black devotion decks, just as an extra way to hit it, and they won't have to play, um the snowman land anymore i think really like what these are going to be showing out in are decks that are playing the snowman land right now but would rather have something more efficient okay yeah that that makes a lot of sense um yeah it is uh there are definitely opportunities where uh exiling a card from your opponent's graveyard matters um that's true and a three three is um de and, you know uh um not not an insignificant creature on the field. I think uh, going up uh, to three toughness from the two of the red one uh, is definitely worth something. And it's just, uh, it's flavored as uh, Beholders, which is another iconic magic, uh, uh, it's another iconic D&D &D, um, monster type. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and I know people are going to like this card just because it has that Beholder um, text on it. So yeah, this is another one. I would not be surprised at all if this sees uh, constructed uh, standard play. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I pretty much agree. Um, so you've got this next one. This is one I did not expect you to pick. Uh, why don't you tell us about Demi-Lich? This might be our last card. I think this is my last card. Um, but yeah, so uh, Demi, uh, Demi-Lich, um, it's basically just this uh, spooky, you know, crystal skull thing with um, uh, spectral arms. Um, I do not know how this card is going to play out, but just the words that are printed on it make me think that this is something worth, you know, looking at. It is four blue mana, no generic, four, you know, mana value of four, four blue mana, Creature Skeleton Wizard. Uh, it's a mythic. It's a 4 3. Uh, and this spell costs one blue less to cast for each instant and sorcery card you've cast this turn. So if you're playing a deck that likes to, you know, kind of cycle cards um, quite a bit then you can play this for free and those cards don't have to be blue so you can like manamorphose or um you know like the um the red uh one mana cards that cycle um you know like opt uh you can mm -hmm. play all of those cards and then this just becomes free once it yeah. gets into play it it does just sit there it's a four three um with no it doesn't have flying or anything but if you're able to attack with this Exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, copy it, you may cast the copy. So it's so basically you get Snapcaster Mage on, at on attack, and it doesn't even exile the card when you um 
uh, when you do it. That text right there makes me think that this is something, you know, that we need to like keep in mind for these uh, heavy spell decks. The fact that you can cast a Snapcaster Mage on attack is pretty good game if you can get it, uh, get it going. Yeah. And, and there is one more thing going on with this card. You may cast Demi Lich from your graveyard by exiling four instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other cost. Uh, so like this, if you're playing a ton of instants and sorceries, this can even come back from the graveyard. It's recur it's re um, recursible. Um, I th There's so much going on with this card that it's really hard to kind of picture how it's going to play in the game of magic but just based on what's written on the card um it seems like um if you can get this going there's a ton of power and i want to see how um like the most efficient way to um play this card in a standard context i'm really curious to see what that's going to look like yeah i think between being able to cast it from your graveyard and just in historic having access to opt and faithless looting and all that stuff this card can't not see play it's too efficient um, yeah. Even if it just gets bolted, you're gonna bring it back from your graveyard. This card's this card worries me. That's how strong I think this card is. Uh, I th I don't know if standard has the tools to break it, but I think historic definitely does. Yeah, absolutely. And I could definitely see this being a brawl card uh, too for standard brawl, uh, just like mono blue, just like uh, can tripping, uh, you know, um, uh, stuff like that. And you just get so much value after uh, you know from just being able to play this for th uh, for free, you know, and then plus your. Um, you know, uh, commander tax, uh, and uh, um, just try. This isn't legendary. Oh, it's not. Oh, you're right. You're right. It looks like it ought to be, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for keeping me on this. This you cannot play this as a as a commander. Um, but yeah. but um, yeah, any any deck like that is going to want to turn this. Like Talran will want this, uh, and, and other decks like that. So yeah, just very curious to see how this is going to play. It's just it's just such a interesting, cool card that um, I I want to see it in action. Yes. So one final card we've got here, and this is the only other dungeon card that we're talking about. This is Yuan-Ti Malasong, and I like the Yuan-Ti. I think they're cool. Uh, this is one in a blue for a 2-1 rare snake rogue. Uh, it can't be blocked as long as it's attacking alone. It seems like Exalted is a bit of a sub-theme uh, in this set. Uh, and whenever Yuan-Ti Malasong deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. So swinging with this by itself is cool. Um, you know, it's not going to be super hard to do, especially if you're in a more controlling sort of deck. And every time you hit them, you get to enter the dungeon. And I think the most common thing you'll be doing is just going up the tree that lets you, like, scry one, gain a life, draw a card, etc. Uh, just eventually drawing a card off of a 2-mana 2-1 unblockable is pretty fine. Uh, so I think this card will obviously be very good and limited um, when you can get it. But it'll it'll be fine in, in standard, too. I think it might see a little bit of play if that enter the dungeon deck ever ends up getting off the ground. How do you feel about you on Team Alisson? Yeah, I'm glad that you picked this card because, uh, like, I I'm glad I'm taking a another look at this card. Like, the rate is good. Um, if you're just if you're playing like a more controlling deck and this is like one of your few creatures, um, and you're kind of just planning on always attacking with this alone, you know, it's a it's a, a two mana two one that is you know most of the time unblockable and you get extra value when it deals combat damage. The fact that you get extra value even though it's tied to the the dungeon mechanic, which is a little awkward, but you are getting some sort of value on uh on doing the uh combat damage and some of those times you'll be getting um extra value if you like complete a dungeon um 
it just seems like a good rate for a card if you just want to play it and just chip away at your opponent's life total while you're doing something else you're playing counter spells or, or something like that so i can definitely see a standard deck that is more controlling and uses this and then maybe mm -hmm. like a man lands or a creature lands as well to um uh chip away at your opponent's life totals so yeah this just seems very efficient and uh a good way i wouldn't really worry too much about trying to put this into like a dungeon deck just use this and just consider it as extra gravy on top of just an unblockable you know two damage every turn definitely yeah i think that is absolutely the appropriate way to evaluate this uh evaluate this card so with that, those are our thoughts on Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Will, how excited are you overall for this set? I am very curious to see, and I feel like I've said this over and over again, I'm very curious to see how the set plays out. Um, this is taking the place of a core set, um, which is normally a more powered down experience uh, for you know newer players and as a, a way to get um, staple cards printed into the standard environment. They're doing something very different this time, and, and I like that. But I was kind of expecting the set to kind of maybe be a little lower on the power level which it kind of seems to in terms of what the cards do but not so much in the complexity so i'm very curious to see how this deck or how this um, set is going to play out as a whole i have high hopes but there's a lot going on and i there's a lot of moving parts that could um fall apart maybe venturing into the dungeon uh, it plays a lot clunkier than it uh feels like it does on the sets maybe all of the um uh, you know uh, rolling a d20 those cards are just so rng they aren't worth playing that would really be um unfortunate if that yeah. were the case so i i am I am hopeful there's a lot of cool stuff happening, but also there's a lot of stuff that I am a bit worried about. But I'm holding I'm holding out hope and I am excited to um play the set when it comes out. Overall, how do you feel about the set, Fred? Yeah, um, so while I disagree with like the the RNG, I don't like the dungeon mechanic very much either. I think there are some very, very cool cards in this set. Uh, icing death and just some fun random limited cards. So I am optimistic despite my reservations about a couple of the core mechanics of the set uh, i will say i was i'm a lot less pessimistic than i was going into the set because you know i'm not attached to D lore at all um so i wasn't like super excited about the way that that would be represented in cards because i didn't have any attachment to it beforehand but like i'm really happy with the way that it came out i think there's a lot of stuff here that's like enjoyable even though i don't really i'm not into D D lore so i am i'm optimistic for the set i'm definitely excited to play some drafts of it yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and the set will be coming out uh, on Magic Arena in a couple of days. <laughs> so uh, um, you, when you'll you'll hear back from us once we've played the set a little bit, and maybe we could give a little update on how we feel this yeah. stuff um, uh, plays uh, in card form but yeah lots of of good stuff to to um uh optimistically or um um what, what's what's the term i'm looking for to um hesitate uh oh, okay never never mind okay cautiously optimistic yeah yes i that's exactly what i was um trying to say uh but okay so looking forward to the set um but let's go ahead and move on to our scoop step and we have a great milestone that we want to commemorate here on this episode. This is uh, officially the first episode that we are recording in year two 
of our podcast, Gut Shot. We have gone one year making this podcast. Our first episode was uh, posted online on July 1st of 2020. And uh, man, we, we finally, we finally made it like this is, I feel like we really um, <laughs> stuck to it. We made something that we can be proud of. And um, yeah, I'm just, just really glad we were able to do this. Um, how do you feel about Gut Shot being one year old? I love it. I'm excited to see it get to um, at least two, you know, two years, three years and just keep going. I'm really loving this podcast. It's, uh, you know, the highlight of my week. I love bringing my bad magic opinions to the world and uh, seeing how they react. And I love getting to hang out with you every week and just sort of shoot the shit. Uh, I'm really happy that Gutshot is where it is. Uh, I'm really excited for its future and, you know, I've enjoyed it so far. What would you say your favorite episodes of Gutshot have been? Uh, I, I, this, this was super, um, indulgent of us but a memory jar uh when an early one where we just talked about our favorite moments in mm -hmm. magic uh you know both uh with each other and without each other um you know like being able to look back and talk about how important magic was to me and those moments that will always stick out it was nice to be able to share those with you and to our audience. Uh, and we also have a couple of other bangers. The um, uh, Political Compass one is one that I, I'm very proud of for a number of ways. Um, we created our own set uh, um, uh, uh, set boosters. That one was a <laughs> That one was fun. really um, fun, yeah. I yeah, exactly. We, yeah, we have a lot of great um, uh, podcasts that I am proud of and wish more people would listen to. Uh, what are your favorites, Fred? <laughs> that sounded a little bitter. Um, I mean, I do too. Just funny. Um, I think my favorites are definitely staple cards. I think is easily easily my favorite episode we've made. It was just so fun to try to figure out, like reverse engineer what each other were talking about from the from the cards combined together. Uh, so I love staple cards. That was a great one. Uh, I also I also like the political compass one. Um, I would say I really enjoyed. Yeah, the set boosters one I had forgotten about until you mentioned it, but that was one of my favorites as well. And then. Um, our episode about whether Ugin was the problem uh, that we got our first paragraph long hate comment on. That one was a milestone and definitely one of my favorites as well. Uh, so I, I would say that those are my favorites. I think, um, yeah, I think the, the set boosters one is like the favorite between the two of us. Yeah, I think, I think that that's a, a good one. So if you want to delve into the gut shot back catalog, that's a great one to, um, to search up. Uh, it's a, a one for the ages. One thing that I love about what we've been doing here is that I feel that my skills as a podcaster have really leveled up quite a bit since we started this, you know, mm -hmm. um, both uh, learning to record audio, learning how to deal with all the issues that uh, not knowing how to properly record audio, um, you know, does. Uh, we had a couple of um, missteps, uh, you know, <laughs> mistakes made um, that I feel that I've learned from. My graphic design skills, making um, uh, thumbnails for this podcast, I've really um feel that I've leveled up uh, there. And um, I just feel like this podcast has really enriched my life and, and given me something to, to look forward to, something to work on, and something that I can really be proud of. And I, I'm, just, I'm just really grateful for, for this podcast for um, allowing me to have that opportunity. Yeah, likewise. I'm just really happy we did this, and I'm looking forward to years of Gutshot Ahead. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots, lots of um, exciting stuff to look forward to uh, in the future. We're going to do all the uh, great things that you know and love. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll evolve um, over time. We'll incorporate new things. Things will change. Some things will stay the same, um, but you can always, um, you can always count on Gutshot for being the home of the hottest takes for Magic the Gathering. I don't think that's yeah. going to change anytime <laughs> soon. And let us know in the comments what your favorite episode of Gutshot is. Let us know yes. who your favorite Gutshot host is. For sure, yeah. Let's get. Oh, let's do like a um, uh, like if you like Frederick and comment if you like uh, Agra Rhetoric. I think that will be a, a good one. Let's let's get that going in the comments. <laughs> and, and honestly, if you have if you like don't like any of our uh, podcast, if you hated this episode, leave a comment and tell us that too, because we would love to hear that, and we will read your comment on air. We will, yeah. Whatever it says, as long as it doesn't have uh, personal information. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and it might ha we might add a snarky tone to it. So just just so you know, keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. you, you're asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, but with that, thank you for listening to this very special first anniversary AFR spoiler episode of Gutshot. You can follow me on social media. Will is at Agro Rhetoric on Twitter. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Gutshot pod but don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell if you're listening to this here on youtube yes do all the engagement and call to action stuff this has been gut shot finally leveling up to level two and we'll see you next time <laughs>